welcome to another episode of Speaking the Lawn, the official podcast of streakingthelawn.com. Uh, once again, my name is Pearson. Once again, I've got Paul and Zach with me today. Paul, how are you? Living the dream, man. It is turning. The leaves are turning. The weather is turning. I'm coming out of my shell. It's great. Mm, it's cold and rainy. Yeah, my, my yeah. Scottish blood loves it. Uh, Zach, how are you doing? I'm also doing well. It's, uh, yeah, I like the cooler weather for now, at least. So, yeah, vibes are good. I can walk around without breaking a sweat, which is always a nice time of year. And, uh, yeah, right. that's good. You fabulous Mr. Autumn guys in your sweaters and spice lattes. I, uh, I'm i happy for you. Yeah, it's all about the pumpkins. It's not uh, quite Han Solo season, but we're getting close. <laughs> we're... Uh, we're, you know, a third of the way through football season, uh, and uh, the Virginia Cavaliers are your only Power 5 winless team in the country. So uh, looking across the realignment uh, conferences, uh, Virginia not doing so good and the argument to be brought into the big money conferences. I know there's more than football success that gets uh, those decisions made, but uh, we're coming off a disappointing loss uh almost overtime clinching but then three personal foul penalties in a row giving up a last second game winning field goal to Brennan Armstrong's NC State Wolfpack Friday night under the lights not the biggest crowd uh but the students came out I'll give them that some takeaways from the game Zach uh how, how are we feeling about our winless football? Who's? Uh, hard to say. I think pretty frustrated is probably the overall sentiment. You know, I, I think I've seen people say like, oh, UVA's beaten the spread and <laughs> what, two of their last three games? Not against Maryland because that got out of hand, but like they could have. So like, oh, you know, that's a, that's a good thing that, you know, at the same time, like, Fans don't care about betting, but fans want to see wins. This is what we talked about last week. Yes, it's all relative to expectations, but being 0-4 is being 0-4. And no one – I know Paul predicted an 0-4 start and then for them to win like four games. So maybe maybe Paul is, is the mastermind behind all of this. But, you know, it, it's just they haven't won a game in a very long time. They're on a seven game losing streak and it's just hard to remain committed to a team that doesn't pay you back with the time that you invest in them. Um, and so I think that that's hard. I think that there were still, you know, positive flashes. It was still a fun game to watch if frustrating at times, you know, Anthony Calandria continues to be, a dude in the pocket um he continues to make some freshman mistakes but at the same time makes up for them and fights back and we saw some resilience from him in this game which i thought was impressive and sort of spoke to the growth that he's had in three games in the sense that he can throw two picks and then we'll come back at you in a big way malik washington is starting to establish himself as someone who might be able to climb onto nfl draft boards next year maybe that's a hot take i'm not 100 i'm not a big NFL draft guy by any means, but he's leading the ACC in yards through four weeks. That's impressive, especially in an offense that is uh, not that good. So, you know, there, there's some positives. I think, and not to take everything, but I think that, that Rudd's defense played well 
considering the number of injuries that they've had. I mean, the, like the defensive line has four of their uh, two deep for, for those eight guys healthy right now. Uh, and so to still hold and to say to what 24 points uh, was impressive. And I think that honestly, they got a, they got unlucky with how DV offense and there wasn't comp- complimentary football in this game. So I think the only two, I wrote this in some story, but I'm, I'm blanking on it now, but at NC state, like two, two of their drives started uh, within UVA territory. So two of their touchdown drives. So I, I think the defense played fairly well. It's still not a win. And I think at the end of the day, it just, you got to get one on the board at some point, man. Like it just, you need to find a way to do it. And that's the big takeaway is that Tony Elliott's team just has not played 60 minutes in a long time since I think Georgia Tech on the road in a 16 to nine, obviously very satisfying win Ugh. on the road. Uh, so yeah, I think at some point you just got to do it and you just have to find a way to do it. Even if you have three unsportsmanlike penalties in the last 36 seconds of play. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually they'll get there. I guess <laughs> the, the hope, the takeaway, I don't know, Paul, what do you think? Yeah. I was going through some of the, the sort of season stats and things, um, in terms of wins against expectation, so you look at, you know, play-by-play, drive-by-drive stats and and how likely a team with that performance in, in a game should have uh, won. Uh, Virginia is one, two, three, four, sixth from the last in wins below expectation. Uh, the only Power 5 teams that are worse are Nebraska and Texas Tech um, that – According to all of these, you know, these play-by-play stats and things, uh, Virginia should have had a win by now. And I think you can sort of conceptualize that of like the JMU game was in hand um, and then got out of hand. Uh, the the NC State game wasn't in hand, but was close. So if you say, you know, those are two that could have been kind of toss-ups, um, you'd expect maybe sort of a 50-50 split between them. And then the Tennessee and the Maryland games, yeah, no, that was an ass-kicking. Um so that's very disappointing um, to see every single game the the team has underperformed on the scoreline what its play on the field would mm. suggest. So these are all these are all Bill Connolly's numbers from from SP SP plus. Um, you know Tennessee game lost by thirty six should have lost by twenty seven twenty eight. Uh, James Madison game lost by one should have won by four and a half Maryland game lost by 28 should have lost by 21 NC state game lost by three should have won by a point according to the, the play-by-play stats. So that's, that's every single game has either been a law, a win, what should have been a win, you know, quote unquote became a loss or what was a loss was a bigger loss than it should have been. Um, And that's, you know, we, we've talked about, execution and and you know thing we'll, we'll talk more about the that string of penalties that sort of decided the nc state game or, or made the nc state game harder to make as close as it was even um but um that's that's troubling on a different level that that's mm-hmm. the guys are doing more of what they're supposed to do than than maybe our our eyeballs would would have said to us um but they're not being put in positions um 
to maximize their likelihood of winning given that performance. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that, that is a worrisome thing to me. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's a stat that, that if that doesn't start trending in the right direction, if this team isn't able to start, well, as Zach said, just winning games period, but doing so in a way, you know, I, I'm not going to, if, if, if they manage to beat BC this weekend, we'll talk about that. I'm sure like, that's great. Get on the board. But as we go through the season, if it continues to be this trend of we're winning games by one or two points that we should have been winning by one or two touchdowns or losing games that we should have been winning based on, on, on the field performance um, that gets into much bigger, bigger picture questions about the direction of the program. Well, they've only had 14 games together as a staff, Paul. I mean, you got to keep that in mind. Uh, it's barely, yeah. barely a, a full season. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think you're spot on with it's just this overall continued resume of evidence that um, things are not cohesive. Things are uh not in a set direction things do not have much of a identity on the football field and uh, and that comes to pass seemingly every game right you know in different ways um you can add to the collection of weird ways to lose uh over and over and over uh but at the end of the day all that's doing is just adding to losses, right? Like it's just adding to the collection of losses. And, and I don't have patience for, yeah, but they, uh, for every single loss, how many losses is it going to take before we have to not deal it like before we start going, well, his helmet got knocked off. And so that shouldn't have been, the penalty well sure potentially uh you know i I, live yeah i i would have agreed that it shouldn't have been a penalty but that doesn't mean you then kick it and give up a big return thereafter and then let them get into field goal range with you know out any real stress stretch their stress about it thereafter i mean like you you can't you're going to run out of excuses even though it seems like in the game of football there's always going to be a new way to to lose and a new thing to put excuse on. It's not one play, uh, even if it, there are bad calls or unlucky tips or one bad decision. Um, it's not one p- bad play. It's just one result, which is over and over a loss. So, Zach, looking at this end of result for NC State, uh, three personal fouls in a row all of a varying level of perhaps lack of severity <laughs> you know I'm, I'm i'm a little confused on the jumping over the snapper when you jump uh over the guy next to him or in between them i guess you're not allowed to touch him is the rule i don't it, i, I think that, that i think that that was more that they said that he landed you can't land on any player period mm-hmm. um that so the you, you can neither use another player as a launching pad or right, if you right. if you jump up and land on another player so the the discussion of like whether they were touching the center that's that you can't bull rush through the snapper 
um while especially while their head is well, down you can't leap over the snapper either even if you Correct. don't touch them you can't Correct. Hurdle that's the that's snapper, that's right. the you can't do anything to that guy but it's the it, it he did it J- james jackson's foot pretty clearly did hit one of the virginia defensive linemen oh and i i i it was unclear to me whether that hit sort of on the way up on more of the launching side of the leaping or it was more on sort of the way down uh, but i that's i that was a completely legitimate call. So it was Ty Furnish headbutting a guy in, um, you know, after, mm-hmm. after the play. Calandria, you know, that's that's a much more sort of hair splitting call. Uh, but as I think some I've seen people on message boards point out, like that's that's a call that's going to go against you when you're the worst team in the ACC for the second straight year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's weak, but it's like that's not where they lost, you know. And, and yeah, it sucks to add to the litany of weak calls or or missed painful breaks here and there that didn't go your way. But that's, that's what losing teams collect is again, a resume of bad plays, bad calls, loser things. And uh, much like Zach's weekly (laughs) article of winners and and losers that, that gets a lot of comments on online. Uh, You know, you're just collecting loser stuff. It's, it's, We've been making that argument about um, Virginia football for as long as I've been following it. It seems like, you know, it's just something that losing teams do is collect these moments of losing behavior. So, uh, Zach, right, you know, run us through the, the end of the game. And I'm not trying to say we can't take positives away. There are positives, although we're changing one of those positives for better or worse uh, at the quarterback position. But before we get to that, just the NC state game losing pretty brutally. Why is that different than if they got their, you know, butts kicked? I mean, it's, it's a tough conversation because at least they were in the game, but at the same time, I think it's just the ineptitude to put it together at the end. And at the same time, like they, they put together a game tying drive yeah you know you saw anthony calandria use his legs you saw des kitchings realize that nc state was only rushing three and start using some qb draws which frankly they probably hadn't been using calandria's legs enough before then and it was nice to see them do that you see anthony calandria continue to make clutch throws and make time and find people in the back of the end zone malik washington is obviously his sort of safety blanket no matter where he is on the field. And that's nice to see. They finally do punch it into the end zone uh, by finding Washington. I'm mixing up his two touchdowns at the moment, but you found made time and found Washington um, in the end zone. And then you have the dumbest of the three 15 yard penalties, which is Ty Furnish um, headbutting an NC state defensive lineman. I don't know why Ty Furnish is still in the lineup here. It it just, I, I think a lot of the, the, conversation and the frustration about this coaching staff is just that they've been so stubborn in so many areas and i will say like the staff knows more about football than me that is and than most people and that's not up for debate here but at the same time when a guy should have had two personal fouls in this game when he like stuck his hand into the face mask of a player Mm -hmm. earlier in the game that was caught on twitter and he's actively a liability in pass protection, which is your most effective part of the offense. 
and is maybe a net neutral in the running game, which is your biggest offensive issue that you should be getting away from, there's really no reason for him to still be in, on the field. You know, like Ty, the, the, the idealized version or like the dream scenario of Ty Furnish is that he's going to be this like undersized center who can get up field B, and I'm not actually making this analogy, but like B a Virginia football version of like Jason Kelsey, which again is a ridiculous comparison to make, but like, that's what you want in a guy who's whatever, 285 pounds at center to be able to survive in pass pro and then get upfield as a run blocker. That's just, that's not realistic. That's not a goal that this team should be having for its center. And obviously he's at right guard now, but it just, I don't understand why they have bigger bodies on, on, on this roster. You have, a justice Johnson. If Jimmy Christ is healthy, which it really seems like he should be, they've been saying that he's back to full health for like three weeks now, but just can't get back into game shape, get back into game shape, like do some running. Uh, sorry. That, that's just like, it's, it's maybe there's something else going on there and I'm not going at Jimmy Christ, but like, why is Tony Elliott saying that Jimmy Christ is, is like right there. And then you got Nana is playing all the right tackle snaps. And that's not a shot at anyone directly but it just like can we manage this correctly please because you got anana is being put out on an island and getting beat in pass pro and if jimmy christ is better than him and needs to whatever the just they need to manage this offensive line a little bit better because ty furnish is not the guy at right guard he's actively losing you football games and i know that that's harsh but like it'd be one thing if he was just getting beat and they left him in there it's when he's making bonehead plays repeatedly like this isn't like oh he lost his temper on one play no this is multiple plays where we're seeing his frustration come out on the field that's the penalty that i have the absolute most issue with and that frustrates me the most fortunately calandria is a dog and finds malachi fields in the end zone fields makes the catch despite having a bad drop last weekend great play juice play and then i think they just got unlucky with the helmet thing and i know we said that like that's Mm -hmm. i don't know like honestly i can live with it yeah it's unlucky, and I and I can honestly, the, the, when you can't live with it is when the big return happens, and that's a that's probably more the issue. And I'm not a special teams analyst, but you can't lose contained there. Like you have to just find, you just if there's one job you have there, you're not trying to make a tackle at, you know, the twenty wherever they're fielding the ball. You just you can't let them get upfield because, as NC State's head coach said after the game, they were just trying to get to the thirty-five yard line because their kicker had a 60 yarder in, in, in pregame. So with that being said, I have less problem with James Jackson, James Jackson's um, penalty, just because I think they were kicking from what, like it was what, like a 45 yarder, that first one. Yeah. I'm fine. If they're, if they're like, all right, we just got to try something and we got to just, we got to try to block this kick. So I'm fine with that. It's annoying. It's frustrating. I think, you know, you'd rather try that than not try it and let him hit the 45 yarder. And if you try it and you block it and it, that's great, you send it to overtime. If it's a penalty, at least they have to kick it again and you could try something else. Yeah, it's a lot closer. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, at least at least AC 10 is getting reps in big game scenarios. Hopefully you can build on that into the future. Not big game, but close games. Well, that, um, let's talk about that because he's not starting with the reps against Boston College. Yeah. Um, so that was news that came out this week. Uh, it, it's it's hard to wrap your mind around 
that decision and none of it yeah. is anti anti tony musket who uh, you know i like what i saw from musket in the two plays where he had time to think uh against tennessee uh before his injury uh certainly the staff knows more about tony musket than i do and so they must say hey this guy gives us a better chance to win which is fine i don't think i don't think putting musket in is going to derail Calandria's development as a player here or anything like that but the only reason you do that is because you think Musket has a a better chance of winning this game at Chestnut Hill than Calandria does right Paul yeah and gives you the best chance gives gives you the best chance of win. like there this isn't something of Oh, one of the these guys are both freshmen, and one of them was a five star. And there's something like there's there's not that sort of like weird internal politics, not not that we know of that like weird like right. internal politics kind of thing that that often happens with quarterback controversies. But I, it's not a stretch to see why they think that. Um, that okay, explain f- five <laughs> fourth quarter interceptions. Right. That's that the the thing that we heard coming out of camp was Musket makes the right decisions. Musket, and that was the the reason for optimism after Brennan Armstrong was Musket makes the reads, makes the right decisions, is willing to check it down. We've seen a lot of that from Calandria. He's he's good to check it down or keep keep the the thing that's been so great about his mobility is staying alive to make a throw those you know that i think it was i think it was one of the the long plays that kobe pace hit that it was that the uh, the pass had what two air yards because it was just basically a flick of the wrist across the line of scrimmage and then pace ran with it um i think we saw from tennessee that musket can make some of those plays as well i think that we we saw some good mobility and i hope hopefully des kitchings has seen what this offensive line's limitations are and and we saw calandria moving the pocket a lot some of that is of course due to his height um now you know musket's not a six 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 seven guy but he's <laughs> he's taller um and of course when you're center and guard or Five ten and six foot in front of you. That doesn't make a huge difference, but um, so I'm I'm hoping that they use some of what has worked with Calandria in terms of that, you know, using the mobility. I, I, the the calculus of he's a half step back in terms of mobility, maybe a half to three quarters of a step back in terms of just raw playmaking but he's a half to a full step ahead in decision-making and a half to a full step ahead in protecting the football. Those are that, that to me comes out as yup muskets, the guy, if he's healthy. Um, and, and in, in addition to the interceptions issue, the other thing that, that we've seen from Clandria is an inability to hit the deep ball. The ball goes real far, um, <laughs> but it's kind of being launched out of a trebuchet. I mean, it's, it's, it is not, pinpoint accuracy that the scheme and the execution of the wide receivers and the protection by the offensive line has created multiple opportunities to hit big explosive plays downfield. Um, and if Musket's got a little bit better deep accuracy and instead of converting none of those, you convert two of them, maybe, you know, when we're talking about there being opportunities in games that are closer than they may have felt uh, or even the games that were close, you know, maybe you get out to stretch a lead a little bit. Um, 
you know, that the, the Demi Starling was open by three or four steps at, at the end of, um, it was the JMU game. Right. Um, now, of course, he's not going to be, uh, on the field uh, for the rest of this season, we we've learned, uh, but there's enough from the rest of the wide receivers that a quarterback who can hit them when they're open and isn't going to throw it to the other guys. I, I don't have a huge problem with that being, especially because musket has another year of eligibility. If this was a last year of eligibility versus a promising freshman, I think you'd have a very different conversation, but musket having this year and next year available to him, um is something that that matters to me there all right zach what are what are your thoughts yeah i i think i largely agree i'm fine with it for this game and i think that musket needs to play well just Mm -hmm. because if he doesn't well then why isn't you know like like if you virginia like best case scenario here is is that tony musket is a step ahead of of calandria Right. That he can string together two straight wins here against BC and William and Mary, and they're not, you know, <laughs> those aren't great wins, um, but they're wins. And UVA is two and four, and we can all trick ourselves into saying that UVA can go four and two in the last six and make a bowl game, which is probably going to happen when they win these two games and whatever. But probably isn't going to happen. But we'll have fun with it. And so I, and then you can have, and I. I don't know. I always think like, oh, the the young QB can learn behind the veteran as the backup. Like this isn't. I, I don't really buy that. I don't really buy that. Like Calandra is going to become a mark markedly better quarterback by being a backup. I think you get better by playing. At least a kid like this does. But at the same time, uh, he gets more time to get comfortable seeing how this offense should be run, and you know. Uh, I mean, next year will be next year and we'll see what happens then, hopefully. But but that all being said, you want Musket to play well because if he doesn't, then things get messy. Mm-hmm. Maybe the easy answer is just putting Calandria in. But if the coaching staff sticks to what they believe, which happens a lot with its coaching staff, even when it's not working, then you get a frustrated Anthony Calandria who thinks that he should be starting, which is going to coincide with an angry fan base that thinks that Anthony Calandria should be starting. So if that happens, if if Musket can't win these next two games, if they lose on Saturday, even if they lose on Saturday and then beat William and Mary with Musket, it, it becomes difficult, I think, to continue unless he shows great ability and a loss that, OK, maybe next year this team can build on it. it it's tough, you know, and, it, and it's all about sort of those, as Paul said, those half steps in different directions, you know, what's going mm-hmm. to be more valuable for you. I think the deep ball point is a good one because this offense has sort of lived and died by big chunk plays uh, through the first couple weeks of actually, you know, not against Tennessee. Um, and Calandra, even on the deep ball that he's hit, they've been underthrown at times and, and receivers have had to sort of like hold up. I mean, I, and I remember, I think specifically in that Maryland game, the one in Malik Washington early in the game could have been a touchdown, but it was just a little short. And you've seen that a couple of like, they've been short at times. And then when he has the distance, they just haven't quite been on the money and you can't really fault a true freshman quarterback for just not being a hundred percent dialed in there. But at the same time, th- there could be a noticeable difference with Musket. And I think that the thought process, the, the sort of the, what flashes with him is that he does have that deep ball. 
and with everything else that Paul said in terms of a processor in the pocket. So I'm fine with it for now. And I think that Saturday is going to be a big determining factor in how fine I am and everyone else is yeah. with it moving forward. Well, so for, you know, to play devil's advocate or probably a lot of people listening, and I know um, our, our friend Ben probably feels this way or expressed this. Uh, so that is all to say, I I, I, I am swayed by your arguments. Uh, however, a lot of people would say, uh, Calandria looks really good. Yeah, there have been some mistakes, but few players have come in to this university and thrown the ball as prolifically as he has as a true freshman. Why wouldn't you keep the ball with the relatively hot hand? Uh, and 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 keep this momentum the the offense has had going. I think there's part of part of what we've been talking about of processing is uh, there's there's an unknown unknown out there or a, a, I don't know I forget I'm not sure how to categorize it but you never know whether there were there are pages being taken out of the playbook that mm-hmm. are are things that Calandria is not able to do if some of the struggles in the run game are there are things that Calandria should have checked out of or didn't have the, it doesn't have the same freedom at the line that Musket does or Musket would. Um, so that's, that's something that kind of only the coaching staff would know is, is whether there is a, a, a belief that the approach to the game would have been different and put them in some better situations aside from just, if Tony Musket was in the same situation, would he have made the same play? Would he have made the same throw? So I think that's that's one side of it. I will say I am less, I am not at all persuaded by the sort of philosophical reason that that Elliot has given of you don't lose your starting job because of an injury. I I get it from an emotional or sort of a moral standpoint, I guess you could say, but from a a team that needs to learn how to win it's the answer is we're going to play the guy that gives us the best chance to win and and Elliot has said that as well uh it just it has not been the first explanation that's given it's it tends to have I I have heard it at least from him tend to be framed as you don't lose your job because of an injury and we're going to play the best guy that gives us the best chance to win and for me I would I would flip them in terms of sort of decision making (laughs) priority if that's just semantics fine so let Um, us hope that it is just semantics yeah 100 percent. but we don't know yeah um you know i i if there are enough other changes that need to have happened that we haven't seen the the fact that ty furnish is still playing um you know i that's that's something that that it i am not as confident that what I said at the beginning of who knows, there may have been a whole bunch of miracle things that couldn't have happened because they had Calandria out there. You know, I, I, I don't think that that's the case, but it is a, a possibility to keep in mind of, um, you know, what, what musket could bring is just a different, you know, you're, you're not, we haven't seen really mm-hmm. any design quarterback runs with Calandria. So it's not like there's an element of the attack that's being taken out by going to musket musket's also not a statue like let's he sure. yeah he's getting chased around by tennessee's defense but tennessee's defense was going to chase around would have chased down calandria too um so uh yeah i i i, yeah. I am not i completely get both sides of this debate 
And there was part of me that leaned much more heavily on the, why the hell are you taking this explosive freshman out until we saw, um, you know, this against NC state again, the fourth quarter, you know, (laughs) yes, that drive at the end, converting a 19 yard, two point conversion, incredibly impressive stuff, absolutely impressive stuff. Uh, but there were also opportunities to have, uh, yeah, I, I think that Maryland game doesn't get, obviously doesn't get out of hand without his turnovers, you know, being a part of it. The turnovers um, were there against NC State late too. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, for sure. And they also, I, I, go they ahead. just haven't won. Like, like if UVA yeah. was two and two right now, I think you stick with Clandry. If they mm. pulled it out against JMU and found a way to win against NC State. Then I think you ride the hot hand. But at the end of the day, yeah. If you're like, two, if you're two and zero, oh, oh, and essentially zero oh and two on the road, yeah, yeah, right, right. Even in, and even if they just won a game, I think it would be more up for debate. If he hadn't thrown the second pick against NC State after the first one was just like a tip ball, um, but I think at zero and four, you as we've yeah. said, you just go with the, your best shot at winning a game. The tip ball was a great play by the NC State guy, but it was still quadruple coverage and underthrown. So let, let you know for all the right. the oh great that's just a great play. Well, it was, and also it was a wrong decision and not a great throw too. So you know I think we can put that in the mistake column definitively. Um, yeah, I, I hear you both, and I think you know best case scenario is musket looks good. Um, so that's what we'll hope for and and you gotta think that's the only reasoning like we said the coaching staff is doing this is because they think he's better at winning this game uh than calandria so we will see on the cw network (laughs) this weekend unless you guys are making the trip to boston of course following reruns of gilmore girls straight Mm -hmm. into acc football uh let let us turn our attention a little bit to the eagles the golden eagles uh they are not winless but their one win is a three-point win over holy cross uh they did give fsu a really tight game on uh uh, they seem to always give FSU a good game up there uh, in the Northeast. Uh, it's usually their red bandana uh, memorial game. It's usually FSU. And I feel like they win this a lot. So I wasn't too surprised. Um, but I don't know to what degree it shows us that BC is any good. Uh, I, I, because then they got blown up uh, on the road at Louisville. They have an overtime loss to NIU uh, to start the year. I mean, this is a winnable game for the Who's, but far be it for me to say the winless Virginia Cavaliers are going to go on the road and pull out a victory against anyone. Uh, so, what do you think, Paul? Yeah, I, you know, we same using some of the same sort of analysis of of what's been disappointing about Virginia season so far. Yeah, you, know, you just kind of ran through their schedule, but by the same uh, post game win expectancy, they should should have lost all four. Um, that mm. the their three-point win over Holy Cross should have been a five-point loss. Um, they played, you know, lost to Florida State by two, you know, sort of should have lost by a touchdown. The other other games, the margin's pretty close to where they were. Um, so, you know, in, in some respects that says, hey, look, this is a BC team that that's putting itself in the right positions to win, is is doing doing what what's expected of it. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, you, you look at their play-by-play statistics and it's, it's not pretty, um, you know, their, their predicted points added on, on each side of the ball are 
um, well are below, you know, the, the sort of national average, they, they're well into the bottom, bottom half or bottom third on, on both. Um, yeah. The, the thing that is most concerning is, is Thomas Castellanos, their, their transfer quarterback mm-hmm. is very effective as a runner. Um, and we saw some issues with that when, when Armstrong would tuck it down and run, um, you know, that's mobile quarterbacks can give any, you know, often give any defense fits. Um, but there seems to be a, a particular, yeah. you know, a, a, a defense that this year is, um, not where we expected it to be, maybe a little bit thin, maybe a little bit inexperienced maintaining rush lane discipline is, is really, really hard. Um, and when, you know, you've, you're committing all 11 guys, to trying to trying to stop, you know, normally the 10 that are out there. And all of a sudden the offense is able to use that 11th player in the way that Boston college can use Castellanos. Um, that's, that's, yeah. that's a real worry for me. I mean, it's simple enough to say there should be a spy on him every game, every play. Right. And I know that's easy to oh, say yeah. and, and hard to execute um, t- to some degree, but th- certainly the game plan should revolve around something along those lines and not just like, well, this is what we do against, you know, quarterbacks with a rushing threat is make sure that we stay in our lane, right? Like they need to do yeah, something I, I, a little purposeful <laughs> about this specific team because there is no threat beyond this mobile quarterback. Yeah. And, and I think Cam Robinson has shown both saw a lot of the decision-making, but especially the athleticism to, mm-hmm. to play that kind of role. Um, yeah, I think there have been a couple of times that that when he's played that spy role, he's gotten sucked up a little bit instead of, you know, I I would want my spy linebacker sort of at three to five yards off the line of scrimmage. Um, and it seems like there's a little bit of playing the, the first play is to move a, a yard or two in and that can get him. He's gotten swept up in. Um, you know, on a design quarterback run, if they're using a running back as a blocker, it, it lets the running back set that block a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, you know, I, I agree there needs to be somebody uh, on Castellanos. And if that's maybe one of the defensive backs and you're using, you know, Robinson or, or uh, Jackson or Ahern or whoever um, more in, in a uh, coverage type role, um, you know, a box safety kind of role, um, I, I think that's something that could be effective too, but that's it, no, no question. The focus in the McHugh center is going to be on keeping Castellanos in check. Cause as you said, the rest of the offense, uh, withers without his production. <laughs> All right, Zach, uh, some, some thoughts on the opponent. Yeah, I got very little on Boston college. I'll be right. I, mean, I have not watched Boston college football play, uh, this year, um, I will say on the linebacker point, I thought that Cam Robinson and James Jackson, other than the blocked kick, which I'm not really going to fault him for, had really good games on Saturday. And I thought that the way that Rudd used them was just, I just liked it. Like he sent them, he was more aggressive. I think in this game, you probably will side on not being as aggressive and hopefully, you know, Rudd sort of realizes that but I, I like the way that he's able to adjust game plans depending on the opponent with Brennan he wanted to get pressure and and get at the guy and, and force him into mistakes which they did they probably could have had a couple more picks um than, than the one that uh oh gosh I'm forgetting who had to had to pick um Gaffney I think. but yeah yeah Micah Gaffney there it is uh who played some slot instead of Tavon Kyle which was nice to see uh but you know I I, I thought yeah I mean Robinson was really good on Saturday in the role that they used him in. And I think Josh Ahern is probable um, per Tony Elliott. 
But at the same time, Robinson's still been playing. He's sort of been playing like third downs, um, even when Ahern has been healthy, sort of just just like a, I think for speed. Um, but we'll, we'll see if that continues. I, I like those two guys back there to deal with a mobile quarterback, um, as you guys tell me Boston College has. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see that this defense is so beat up. It's hard to have high expectations, uh, but I don't know. I'm just hoping that that UVA, that the coaching staff um, is malleable with their game plans. I hope so, too. So uh, we'll find out on, uh, you know, I, I look forward to watching on however one watches whatever the CW is uh, in this day and age. So if anyone knows how to do that on the Internet, let me know. Um, before we close things up, there was uh, some basketball news with the schedule released this week. Um, Zach, do you have some uh, some quick notes for people who might not have taken a, a look at the Twitter graphic which is sort of hard to read uh because it's in order but doesn't tell you what day of the week it is and i keep forgetting what means home game and, and white and gray and dark blue all sort of blend together on it i don't like the graphic virginia basketball <laughs> give me a better schedule graphic as i'm sure they will yeah yeah we need, we need some more orange in there i don't know the orange <laughs> cloud that that's my top analysis um yeah. virginia not virginia uh north carolina duke Miami all only once, I believe. Duke on the road on March 2nd is their one and only game against the Blue Devils this year, which is crazy because it always feels like, and it feels like they've gotten them twice recently or it's been earlier. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. I think Wake only once as well. So this is a relatively favorable ACC schedule for this team, I Definitely. think. Um, just going off of who is probably expected to play well um it's weird to end with georgia tech at home but i i i don't know the, the, whatever um yeah <laughs> they do i think start the, the scheduling play uh, earlier than uh, yes. ending the non-conference uh because december 2nd uh, syracuse comes to town and then they've got four non yeah. games before their next acc game it's a little different yeah i mean you gotta you gotta test out uh syracuse's defense post zone um presumably <laughs> uh but yeah i don't know I, I think people were annoyed that i think like eight out of 11 of the saturday games are on the road so that's a bummer for yeah, um, no, no saturday home fans. games for no saturday home games for two months there's one in just yeah de mid-december and then that's the next crazy. one's not till mid-february yeah yeah, yeah that, that's frustrating and the non-con uh, is is a decent schedule they've got florida um they've got wisconsin they've got smu or west virginia uh, and they have Texas A&M in the ACC SEC challenge. I remember it's no longer uh, the Big Ten that are our eternal rivals uh, as a conference, but SEC. Um, A&M's a good team. So, I mean, that'll be, uh, I think those are some fun. Well, I won't call playing Wisconsin fun. Uh, and certainly historically, playing Florida has never been vibey. fun for Virginia. So, Wisconsin will be vibey. But yeah, Maybe. I don't, I don't yeah. Like regardless of if they are fun matchups or not, they are uh, at least name brand out of conference matchups that will play well uh, for the resume and March. Hopefully, um, I think we're all really excited to see how, uh, you know, this Beekman led team of interesting transfers comes together. So 
we will, of course, have plenty of preseason basketball coverage coming down. Uh, wanted to get that note out there because that was the September news, although there were some recruitment news uh, we've also glossed over on these podcasts, but we try and keep them to a reasonable length of time for you guys. And, you know, we're thick, thick in the middle of football. So we will be back next week to hopefully talk about no longer being windless uh, on the gridiron for the who's. So stay tuned to the blog for more pregame and postgame coverage Good luck finding the game on television or the internet. And uh, for everybody at streakingalon.com, this is Speaking Alon. I'm Pierce. Go Hoos.